Hey guys, it's Ade here, your host for Stories That Stick podcast. Now in keeping with our last episode, we're recapping some of our favourite stories told by our guest. So first up is Bami Kutiyi, founder of Bam Bam Boogie Dance Fitness. And the entire episode was a treat to say the least, because Bami was very open, especially on how she gained confidence to go off and start her business. And regular listeners, you guys will know that I often ask all my guests what was one of the funnest stories that they read or heard as a child, teenager or adult. And here's what Bami had to say. You did write The Hungry Caterpillar. Mm-hmm. Why? I just thought that book was really cute when I was younger to see the caterpillar go through that growth of just like eating and eating and eating and then seeing it turn into a butterfly. I felt like it was just inspiring for me as a kid. I was like, okay, you know what? Even though I'm packing a bit of pounds right now, I know that when I'm older, I'm going to grow into a beautiful butterfly. And you know what? It's right because I did. I absolutely love that. I love the confidence. So let me play the clip where Bami explains how she pretty much started her business, Bam Bam Boogie Dance Fitness. Here's the clip. Third decade. Now we're in uni, but going out of uni to start thinking about career. And this is where we find ourselves when it comes down to your actual business. Mm -hmm. So I'm starting uni and decided that for financial reasons that I would just stay at home and go to University of Toronto. Before I graduated, that's when I found out about SEO London, a not-for-profit, I believe, in the UK that helps people from diverse backgrounds get into top companies. SEO London had a posting about HR in Google, but I didn't have the qualifications, they said. But then she called me back and she said, actually, they have a sales role, if you're interested, like a sales digital strategy role. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever's going to get me out of here. But then I saw it was in Dublin. And I was like, oh gosh, well, I'm not going to get it anyway, so I might as well just interview. So then I interviewed. Famous last words. And then I got it. <laughs> so good, so good and good. And then I had to move to Dublin um, once I graduated. And it was definitely harder than I expected. Why was this so difficult? I'd finally established myself and my identity as like, this bold, fun, force of nature, super popular. Like, I felt like I was at the peak of my social, like, game. Like, I was killing it. Mm. And then I moved to Dublin thinking it's going to level me up. And then all of a sudden, it's like I'm back, that 14-year-old girl moving to Canada again, completely just feeling out of her depth. And I think the reason why it was so different this time, I don't even now have this support group. So I remember in the first decade, second decade, even though I was around people that didn't look like me, I still had this support group of, like, family, friends, cousins, where I can be myself. But in Dublin, I didn't know anyone. So I couldn't code switch to go back and get my energy and kind of like heal again. So it was just darkness, like all round for, I'd say, at least the first like six to eight months. How did you cope? How did you overcome? Overcoming this was definitely through health and fitness. So I gained a lot of weight going there because I just was so depressed. And then after when I finally got a personal trainer, and started to work out, I started to feel more confident in myself. And I'd never before connected the dots of like mental health and like physical fitness. 
So actually going to the gym and feeling this difference, I was like, wow, if this can help me, I'm sure this can help so many other people. But then I would go into other gym spaces and not see people that look like me and just feel very awkward. So I was like, no, I'm not going to complain about this yet again. Let me just make a change. And that's why I created my business, Bam Bam Boogie Dance Fitness. So guys, we're still in a pandemic, COVID, and I know that Bammy has had to pivot to online classes. So if you guys ever wanted to work out in the funnest way possible, please do go and check out her classes that she has to offer. Now the full interview is episode 13. So again, please do have a listen to it and let me know what you think. Up next, we have Raya El Salahi, journalist and presenter and you can actually currently catch her on Times Radio between 7 and 10 a.m. She does the breakfast show. Now, Raya does have dual heritage. She's British and Sudanese. And here's one of her fondest childhood stories that she was told. Here's the clip. So Fatima the Beautiful and Hassan the Clever, that's the, the full name of the story, and it's in Arabic. The idea behind the story is there's this brother and sister and they live in this house and they're absolutely devoted to each other, best of friends. When the girl, daughter Fatima the Beautiful, cries, it rains and when she smiles, pearls come out of her mouth. That's how precious she is. She hears about this beautiful bird that when it sings, it makes the sunshine and she asks the brother to get it for her. And the story is essentially him climbing over mountains, fighting through forests to get this bird from this ogre. And the story has him riding a horse. And the thing that always sticks in my mind is my dad would make the sound of the horse. So he'd say, karaba, 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 which is not what we'd say in English. We'd say gallop, right? But in Sudan, that's the noise they make for horses. That sound sticks with me whenever I think about my dad, whenever I think about being a kid. That noise of sitting there with my brothers and my sisters and my nephews and my nieces and my cousins and whoever, all the kids around, doing that noise with him. Karaba, 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 karaba. Now, the next clip I want to play from the interview really struck a chord with me because if there was ever a story on how to find out what you don't want to do, well, it certainly would be this. Here's the clip. But the only reason why I actually brought that up is because at this stage, and what I'm trying to establish is where you're thinking career-wise. Mm. But every time you are answering, and this is now pushback right here, you and I. Go for it. It seems like you keep on Bring going back, back to, to, you know, you being fundamentally isolated and yeah. feeling, again, at a loss in a sense. But you're finding yourself, mm. as you've said. So I'm asking, what what's this thinking what's of what you thinking? wanted to do, you know? I hope that's... That yeah, a, no, that makes absolute sense. Okay. And it's really true. It's a really good observation because it kind of gets to the crux of what happened at that stage in my life that I went to sick form and I decided to do sociology because the first day of a class, one of the teachers gave us a handout and it had a whole load of things that sounded like weird. How do I even describe this? She gave us a piece of paper and it said on it things like, you go into a room and you sit down and you put your head under an oven and then you get up and you leave. Where in the world or the galaxy do you think this person is from? And all these kids wrote Mars or Venus. And I was like, oh, it's like in the hairdressers when you sit down and you have the thing on. So I wrote England. And this teacher then 
fed back and was like, yeah, this is all things that we do in this country that I'm talking about in a different way so that you get a sense of cultural relativism, of the fact that you what you think is normal is not what everyone else thinks is normal. And it stuck with me and it made me want to do something in my life that was linked to that career. And at first that felt like it was social work. So I left school and I went and did a gap year with a youth homeless shelter up in the north of England, thinking that was the, the route to go. And I'm working in this homeless shelter for young people. And the first night, this kid comes in who is off her face. She's clearly on something. And these kids are all under 16. And she slits her wrists and tries to kill herself. And I walk in a room and there's this girl covered in blood, covered. And more blood than I'd ever seen in my life. And I'm fresh out of school thinking, I want to go into social work so I can help people. And walk in and, and patch this girl up and call an ambulance and go with her and make sure she's okay. And luckily at that point she was fine. I had a lot of time to spend with this girl and she told me a bit about her life and the fact that she'd had this horrific upbringing and that she didn't see the point in living. What's the point? No one cares. And I quickly realised two things. One, I could not make a difference to her life. I could be there to help her patch up the wounds on her wrist, but I couldn't make a real difference to her life. And two, I realised that I wasn't strong enough for social work that I wasn't strong enough to go into that setting and not be affected by it and be able to still be to still be helpful to still think I can make a change if straight away at the first hurdle my first thought was I can't make a difference to your life I'm not the right person for this job but what had happened really formed my idea that I want to tell stories about things like this I want to give a platform and help give a platform to stories that I never would have heard of this like awful life this girl had lived I never would have heard about that had I not been in that setting so that was definitely what pushed me towards journalism as opposed to social work, an inability to actually make a difference and feeling like there's a different way to do it. Now the full interview, which I highly recommend guys, please do go check it out. It's episode 14. And also do go show Rhea some love. So next up we have Christina Moore, who's the founder of Don't Skip Media, an independent podcast production company. And within this interview, one of the things that Christina did say that has remained with me, in spite of all our efforts not to walk down the beaten path, when we get older, we end up doing exactly that. Or something to those effects. I'm not sure if I've interpreted it right, but guys, do let me know. Here's the clip. You mentioned though earlier on that you do have quite a lot of siblings. Yeah, yeah. Altogether, there's five. Okay. Three brothers, one sister, and, and me. Yeah, and you're the eldest. No, I'm second, but I'm the first girl. Which, if you come from either an African or a Caribbean country, you know what being the first girl means. Tell us. It means that there's a, in spite of the fact that I actually think my parents are quite progressive, there's still a lot of responsibility in terms of being a caretaker. And now we've ended up in this place where as a woman you can go out you can get a job you can do all of these things and you can carve a career and a name for yourself but also could you take care of so and so like it, it's now you're doing both jobs you're like oh okay but do you adhere to those gender roles yeah so at one point I just completely rejected it all right and that's part of why I moved to London I was just like I don't care I'm not interested I'm going to do this for me blah 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 but as I've got older, things have become more and more apparent that actually a lot of the responsibilities as my parents get older are going to fall onto me. Onto yeah, right. yeah. And so I've stopped resisting that and started preparing for it. 
With all our guests, we asked one of the funnest stories that stuck with them, and this is what Christina had to say. Many of my regular listeners do know that I often ask my guests to send in a single sentence or word of their funnest story. So, on this occasion, you submitted The Witches by Roald Dahl. Why that book? So, I loved the book and the film The Witches by Roald Dahl because it allowed children to explore darker sides of their mind. So the book is about a boy um, whose parents unfortunately die, so he's orphaned, and he's sent to live with his grandmother, a witch hunter. And she tells him stories about how to identify witches who try to disguise themselves. So, like, they wear wigs, but if you ever get a peek under their wig, they've got a scaly, itchy scalp and... They wear gloves to hide their claw hands and they can sniff children out. To them, children smell like dog poo. And if they catch you, they're going to kill you. Him and his nan go on holiday. They come across a witches' conference and plot the downfall of the British witches. So that's what they do. They then turn all of these witches into mice and the mice are exterminated by the hotel. (laughs) Who hasn't heard of the witches? Now, speaking of stories, please do go listen to the full interview. It's episode 15. And also do go check out all the amazing work that Christina's currently doing. I believe the latest podcast in which she's doing is with Eve. And if you don't know who Eve is, (sighs) must be nice to be young must be nice. Anyway, our last recap for this episode is the interview we did with Josh Rivers, who's a fellow podcaster and has an amazing platform called Busy Being Black, which is a space for queer black voices thriving at intersections of their identity. This interview had so many wonderful gems. It was so open and so honest and vulnerable. So thank you, Josh. Really and truly thank you. I think this clip that I'm about to play really had me thinking, or certainly was the first time that I had to think about the necessity of someone within the LGBTQ plus community coming out. Here's a clip. Here's a question to ask those in the LGBT community when they came out. You don't ask that to a cis heterosexual person when they came out. That's right. But is that okay to ask? Yeah, it's not an offensive question. And I think the conversation is certainly changing now among certain groups and circles about, well, what is the necessity of coming out? I had a conversation with Shamir Sani for the show, and he was the first person who kind of turned me on to the idea that coming out is for white people. And in our conversation, Shamir said, you know, that he didn't come out not because he wasn't proud, but because him coming out would have a negative impact, potentially life-threatening impact on his family back in Pakistan. Since that conversation with Shamir, I've been thinking a lot about what, who does coming out serve? So that doesn't really answer your question, but coming out is not an offensive thing to ask people. Okay, and I will ask then your story, and I'd love you to walk us through that moment. But before that, how does coming out serve white people? I'm still not necessarily seeing the link. Um... We live in a society, uh, gay societies, gay cultures, that are predominantly run by white people. So the dominant narrative that's doled out to all people in the LGBTQ community namely comes from white sources. Right. So this dominating 
narrative that coming out is the apex of the queer experience excludes or obscures the lived experiences of those for whom coming out simply isn't a possibility. And so because the dominant narrative is white, coming out is for white people. They don't often take into account that people can be perfectly proud and not atop a double-decker bus during Pride season. That there are many other ways that people express their pride, their intimacy, their love. And I want to make sure that I create space in what I do for those who would prefer to be quietly who they are. Yeah, 100%. And we'll definitely get into the spaces in which you are creating. So do you mind me asking then about your coming out story? Not at all. Um, I remember I called my mom and said, Mom, I think I'm gay. And she said, you think? (laughs) (laughs) I've known you were gay since you were four. (laughs) And I was like, oh, fine. And uh, she said, you have to tell your dad. And I was most scared about telling him. We were in the car waiting for my sister after school. I think she was playing some sort of sport at that time, volleyball. And um, I said, Dad, I'm bi. Because I thought bi was easier than saying gay. And um, there was like this long silence. He was just looking at his PDA, his handheld device. And I said, aren't you going to say anything? You know, getting really upset and dramatic. And he was like, well, I can't change it. What do you want me to say? And I couldn't believe he said that I was so upset. And in retrospect, I was like, why was I so upset? That was like the perfect answer. <laughs> but for some reason, I, I wanted him to fight me about it. You know, I wanted him to be disappointed. I wanted him to react to it. I wanted more than, well, I can't do anything about it. Guys, do go listen to the full interview. It's episode 16. And listeners, do go and check out the platform. It's phenomenal. Josh is doing amazing work and he just continues just to be an inspiration to myself and I hope to us all. On that note, I'd like to repeat my gratitude and my thanks to all the guests so far. And if you are listening and would like to be featured on Stories That Stick and or would like to feature me, Ade, on your podcast, after all, let's rise together, right? then please don't hesitate to get in touch via email, which is contact at blackticulate.com or direct message us on any of the social platforms that you might be following Blackticulate on. Yeah, that's it for now. Please do take care and see you guys on the next episode. Bye.